It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. I have just been to see Her Majesty the Queen who has invited me to form a government. From this day forward, a new vision will govern our land. Iraq collapsing, Syria collapsing, Yemen collapsing, Libya collapsing, and everything else in turmoil. Nothing to do with us. Hey everyone, welcome to Where We Are with Terrence Eagle. The podcast that breaks down what happened in the world in the last seven days and how we got here. On today's episode... Our policy is called by an Afrikaans word, apartheid. It could just as easily be described as a policy of good neighborliness. President Jacob Zuma has survived yet another vote of no confidence. It's the eighth time he survived such a motion. But first... Here's what happened in the world this week. On Saturday in Thailand, a soldier gunned down 26 people and wounded 57 more, making it the worst shooting spree the country has ever seen. The shooting started on a military base. The gunman killed his commanding officer and then stole some ammunition, which he would use to shoot up a nearby mall. He managed to hide himself in the mall for about 16 hours before security forces found and fatally shot him. This kind of tragedy is totally unprecedented in Thailand, as the prime minister explained to reporters on Sunday. It seemed like the motive had to do with a financial dispute, as far as we can tell. Donald John Trump, President of the United States, is not guilty as charged in the first article of impeachment. Donald John Trump, President of the United States, is not guilty as charged in the second article of impeachment. On Wednesday, as expected, President Trump was acquitted of the two impeachment charges. The only somewhat unexpected part of the story was the lone dissenting Republican, Mitt Romney. Romney was the only person to break away from party ranks, voting to convict President Trump of abuse of power. He delivered an emotional speech on the Senate floor before the voting began. I knew from the outset that being tasked with judging the president, the leader of my own party, would be the most difficult decision I have ever faced. I was not wrong. With my vote, I will tell my children and their children that I did my duty to the best of my ability, believing that my country expected it of me. I will only be one name among many, no more, no less, to future generations of Americans who look at the record of this trial. They will note merely that I was among the senators who determined that what the president did was wrong, grievously wrong. Senator Romney has already faced serious backlash, with everyone from Donald Trump Jr. to his own niece calling for his removal from office over this. And President Trump tried to dismiss the dissent entirely, 
by calling Romney with no evidence a Democrat secret asset. Well, it looks like it's going to be a long night, but I'm feeling good. <laughs> Let me begin by stating that I imagine, have a strong feeling that at some point, the results will be announced. Thank you so much. So listen, it is too close to call. So we don't know all the results. But we know by the time it's all said and done, Iowa, you have shocked the nation. The 2020 U.S. presidential election got off to a more than rocky start earlier this week. So the Iowa caucus is the first state to vote for candidates in the upcoming election, which gives it kind of an outsized influence because it seems like it sets the tone for which candidates are most popular. So for example, Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama both won Iowa and then obviously went on to win the candidacy. Um, but instead of the results making headlines this year, the news was all about the totally botched counting and reporting. It seems like the Democratic National Committee released an app this year to help volunteers at all the different precincts tally and report the results of the caucuses. But whether it was tech error or human error, the system completely failed. And after hours of delay, the results only came out in dribbles, infuriating the media. It took several days for all the results to be released. And they show that former mayor of South Bend, Indiana, Pete Buttigieg, has a very slim lead over Senator Bernie Sanders. Pretty significantly behind both of them is Senator Elizabeth Warren in third place, followed by former Vice President Joe Biden. Biden's fall down to number four is probably the biggest surprise. Next week, we'll have the next primary contest in New Hampshire. No candidate has ever won both in Iowa and New Hampshire and not gone on to win the nomination. And finally, in the latest on the coronavirus, the death toll from the virus has surpassed that of the SARS epidemic of 2002, with more than 800 deaths reported in China. SARS took 774 lives worldwide. Quarantines are still going on around the world. Probably the one getting the most press attention right now is a cruise ship in Japan that has about 3,700 people on board. It's been under quarantine for a week, and at the time of recording, 64 of the passengers have tested positive for the virus. Despite tens of thousands of infections and millions under lockdown, what's finally prompted an online revolt in China was the death of the prominent Wuhan doctor, Li Wenliang, who tried to issue early warnings about the disease only to succumb to it himself. Dr. Li first tried to warn about the virus in an online chat room, but he was quickly summoned by police and forced to sign a statement that said his comment was unfounded and an illegal rumor. In a country of severe state crackdown, the doctor's death caused an explosion of anger and grief online, even overwhelming China's sophisticated censorship system. In a very rare caving to public pressure, the Communist Party agreed to investigate the circumstances surrounding Dr. Li's death. And with that, it's time for this week's Deep Dive. On Tuesday, South Africa's former president, Jacob Zuma, failed to appear in court where he was being charged with corruption. Instead, his lawyer submitted a very suspicious sick note that didn't even list the medical condition or have a proper physician's signature. The judge was unsurprisingly unimpressed and issued a warrant of arrest for Zuma for failing to appear. So who is Jacob Zuma? He's not just your typical corrupt politician. 
He's still beloved by many in South Africa, although his stardom has definitely been waning for years. In some ways, he's kind of like the anti-hero version of Nelson Mandela. In a story filled with guerrilla fighting, imprisonment, exile, political ascension, and a slow-burning fall from grace is a really fascinating one. So Jacob Zuma was born in Nakanla, South Africa on April 12, 1942. His father was a police officer, but he died when Zuma was four years old. Zuma spent a lot of his childhood doing odd jobs to help support his family, so he didn't get much of a formal education. But he was really bright and basically taught himself to read and write. Zuma got an interest in politics really early on. When he was only 16, he joined the African National Congress, ANC, through its Youth League, which was a program that had actually been set up by Nelson Mandela, the Nobel Peace Prize laureate and South Africa's most beloved leader. When Zuma joined the ANC in the 1950s, South Africa was suffering under the brutal policies of apartheid. Oh. Policy is one which is called by an Afrikaans word, apartheid. It could just as easily, and perhaps much better be described, as a policy of good neighborliness. Accepting that there are differences between people. But while these differences exist, and you have to acknowledge them. Apartheid, which is an Afrikaans word that basically translates to apartness, was a system embraced by the all-white national party, for the separate development of colored South Africans and white South Africans. And it almost goes without saying that while on paper, the two developments were supposed to be equal, in reality, the segregation kept many colored South Africans just shy of destitution. This kind of racial divide had existed in South Africa more or less since the region was colonized, but in 1948, the National Party made it law. So this meant that even friendship with someone of a different skin tone could subject you to suspicion or worse, and there was now a powerful state arm at the ready to punish any perceived violators of these laws. So it was a bleak and terrifying time for most South Africans. The African National Party, ANC, that Zuma had joined, set itself up as a nonviolent political party that opposed the system of apartheid. Unsurprisingly, this put them out of favor with the racist ruling government, and the ANC was banned and forced to go underground. So after years of nonviolence, with nothing to show for it but the worsening of apartheid policies, Nelson Mandela co-founded a military group, which Zuma then joined. In 1963, when Zuma was 21, he was arrested along with 45 other members of the group and sentenced to 10 years in prison. Mandela had already been arrested at this point, and he would go on to serve 27 years since he was one of the group's founders. Mandela and Zuma served their sentences at the same terrifying maximum security prison, Robben Island. I'd like to ask you a personal question. Suddenly. Specific incident. What was the worst thing that happened to you in prison? It is easy to forget the past. And I cannot answer your question because I frankly do not remember. Were you beaten? Not me personally, but many of my colleagues were beaten. That was Nelson Mandela speaking to CBS News. When Zuma was released in 1973, he redoubled his work with ANC. 
The ban on the group wouldn't be lifted for another 17 years, though. So in the meantime, Zuma built up ANC's underground infrastructure. He was even appointed head of ANC underground structures, eventually. Zuma spent most of this time in exile, since he was still working for a banned political party, and obviously he wanted to avoid being sent back to Robben Island. He even spent three months in the Soviet Union, completing a military and leadership training course in 1978. In 1990, South African President F.W. de Klerk released Nelson Mandela from prison amid tons of growing international pressure, and the two men negotiated a historic end to apartheid in South Africa. Three years later, they'd be awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for this. The problem that faced us was that our emotions said, it is revolting for me to go and talk to people whom for more than three centuries have persecuted our people and treated us like flies. That is what our feeling said. We were thinking through our blood when we said so, but our brains said something totally different. Our brains said, if you don't talk to your enemy, this country will go up in flames, and innocent human beings will be slaughtered. And our brains prevailed over our blood. So obviously this had huge consequences for Zuma as well, not least of which was that the ANC was finally unbanned, and he could return to South Africa and start working for the group more overtly. Nelson Mandela would go on to become South African president after the first multi-ethnic election in 1994. After him succeeded Thabo Mbeki, who appointed Zuma executive deputy president. It would be another 10 years before Zuma himself became president. But during those 10 years, essentially all of the controversy would take place that would doom the rest of his political career. Zuma would actually get involved in and then slither his way out of several charges and scandals during his lifetime. But probably the most serious involved a now infamous arms deal that took place in 1999, just after Zuma was made deputy president. The deal was supposed to modernize South Africa's military after apartheid and involved billions of dollars worth of equipment from submarines to fighter jets. Even before the deal got off the ground, which involved purchases from companies all over Europe, a lot of people were suspicious about the idea of a country where millions lived in poverty, spending billions of dollars on weapons, when they didn't even seem to have a credible threat to their sovereignty from any outside forces. In 2005, Zuma's financial advisor, Shabir Sheikh, was convicted of corruption in relation to the deal. It's a bit complicated, but basically... Sheikh was charged with soliciting a bribe on behalf of Zuma from one of the French companies involved in the arms deal. So obviously charges on Zuma himself seemed on the horizon. And they came at last in 2007 when Zuma was indicted for corruption and bribery. But in 2009, the charges were dropped by the chief prosecutor. And that move always looked fishy to some people. It's worth noting, though, that Zuma has always maintained his innocence and his defenders point out that most of the ANC members involved in the deal have avoided indictments, and they all seem to have fallen on the head of Zuma. But on the other hand, even if this charge would wind up having the most serious consequences for Zuma, it is far from the only charge that would plague his presidency. 
In 2005, while his financial advisor was unsuccessfully trying to appeal his corruption conviction, Zuma was charged with raping a woman in his home. The 31-year-old alleged victim was the daughter of a prominent ANC member, and Zuma was a family friend. In 2006, a judge ruled that the sex was consensual, and Zuma was acquitted. It is a victory for our democracy. It is a victory for our justice system. In the blowback, the woman's house was burned down by Zuma supporters, and her and her mother were offered asylum in Holland. Even though he was acquitted, Zuma also humiliated himself a bit in the trial by saying that he wasn't worried that the woman was known to be HIV positive because he made George shower after sex so he couldn't have contracted the STD. For a country that had been battling the HIV-AIDS epidemic, that kind of ignorance was especially shocking. Despite all of this, in 2007, he became the leader of the ANC, and in 2009, he won the presidency. At least at the outset, he was a pretty popular figure. He positioned himself as kind of a man of the people, and really capitalized on his early struggles and history as a guerrilla fighter. He even used the song, Bring Me My Machine Gun, as his anthem. But the South African economy was suffering, and the country was still dealing with corruption that the government wasn't doing much to address. Zuma was elected for a second term, but lots of other more petty corruption charges kept popping up. Like in 2016, when the high court ruled that Zuma had violated the constitution when he used $15 million of public funds to upgrade his own house, and the court ordered him to pay some of it back. And during his nine years as president, he faced many no-confidence votes that he sometimes narrowly survived. I'm turning to news from South Africa now. President Jacob Zuma has survived yet another vote of no confidence. It's the eighth time he survived such a motion. Parliamentary Speaker Balek Ambete has just announced the results in Parliament. That was CGTN. At the end of 2017, the ANC elected a new leader, Cyril Ramaphosa setting off a power struggle between him and Zuma. After surviving so many scandals with less than two years left to his reign by South Africa's constitution, the ANC decided it was in the best interest of the party to oust him. They demanded his resignation, which Zuma reluctantly gave in February 2018, after all of his other escape routes were cut off. Ramaphosa took over as president, but the South African economy is still struggling to recover. All the scandals of the past 20 years have not only really damaged the reputation of the ANC, but it hurt investor confidence in the region. Even though Zuma resigned, rather than getting him out of further scandal, it was probably because he lost his grip on power that he was finally indicted on corruption charges successfully, two months after he stepped down as president. Mr. Zuma's representations are unsuccessful. The director of public prosecutions, KwaZulu-Natal, will facilitate the necessary processes for Mr. Zuma and his co-accused to appear in court. The charges against him this time around are the same charges that were initially dropped in 2009 about that infamous arms deal. So basically, 20 years after the deal took place, Zuma is finally being charged with corruption in relation to it. Two years later, Zuma's tactics for evading the justice system are definitely getting more desperate. When his trial started, Zuma actually embraced his court appearances, making defiant speeches and even singing and dancing for his supporters. 
but his legal challenges to the charges have been faltering, and the Zuma fanfare has consequently faltered too. In May, the corruption case against him will resume, and Zuma's arrest warrant will come into effect. At that point, we'll get to see what his next move might be. All right, and that's our show. Tune in next week for another episode of Where We Are with Terrence Eagle. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.